You know, I, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a traditional Methodist church, and we uh, always sang hymns, and, uh, and I, love hymn. I love music in, in general, and grew up singing all these great hymns. But it was fascinating, as I was starting to write this sermon on pain, again, finishing up this sermon series on uh, painful sacrifice, uh, it was fascinating because the words of a hymn started to come into my mind, and, and I couldn't remember what hymn it was. In fact, I had to Google it uh, to look it up, and, and it's from the hymn, Alas, and Did My Savior, Savior Bleed, but it's uh, the second version, and I didn't even realize it was in our hymnal, but it must have been because I, I remember this refrain from this hymn, and so, let me see, it's, uh, it's 359. If you want to look at it, it's in our hymnal right in front of you. It's the red book there, uh, but the refrain says this. It's at the bottom there. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. What terrible theology that is. I'm just going to have to say it out loud. You know, it, in fact, as I said in the first service, if Rock of Ages wasn't on the back of this, I'd just have you tear it out. Uh, because it is terrible theology. Because it gives us the impression that as Christians, we're always going to be happy all the day. And that's not reality. In fact, some of you who are here this morning are probably not happy. And there's various reasons for that. Uh, but, you know, it just gives us this impression that we just go, go around being happy Christians, no cares at all, nothing gets us down, nothing to worry about, no pain, uh, all roses and rainbows. It's terrible theology. Let me just tell you that. Uh, because pain is a part of life. Uh, but as we've said over the past month, God doesn't necessarily cause our pain, but he can redeem it. And, and we have to learn how to deal with the pain of life. Singing that we are always happy, I think, ignores the reality of life. And it ignores the incredible pain that we also sometimes suffer but here's the fascinating thing. Even me as a pastor, here I'm writing about pain, but my body, my mind wants to say, no, let's don't do that. Let's go to happy all the day. Because <laughs> that's the way we are, isn't it? We would rather be there, happy all the day, right? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. How many of you want to be in pain? Happy all the day. There we go. Okay, now we're on tracking. I just, but that's, it's funny because subconsciously my mind is saying, I really don't want to write about pain. I want to sing about being happy all the day. But the reality is, life is pain. And, and we sometimes we get misguided or we have this wrong idea about approaching the Christian life. Uh, and we ignore the reality of life and ignore the incredible pain that we often suffer. And, and when we do that, you know, we sometimes get confused. Uh, and sometimes that confusion is caused because we don't actually read this book. Uh, and, and it's so important for us to read Scripture and to know what this says because, because as I said, you know, we would rather live in the happy all the day. But if we read this, it doesn't give us the happy all the day, does it? No, it, it's gritty. It's raw. It gives us the everyday part of life. But we try to neuter Scripture. We, there's certain parts we like and there are other parts we just would rather ignore. Uh, but let me remind you of some of the scripture that, that speaks, in my opinion, to a more robust theology 
of pain. From Job. Oh, we all like Job. Here's Job. I would choose strangling and death instead of my bones. I reject life. I don't want to live long. Leave me alone, for my days are empty. That's Job. That's scripture. Or how about this from Psalm 6? I love Psalms. They're my favorite. I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. The Bible reminds us that life can be painful. The Bible reminds us that life can be painful. How will we deal with it? That's, that's the question for us. How are we going to deal with that pain? Will we ignore it? Will we run from it? Will we, will we try to hide from it? Or will we seek God in the midst of it? But so many of us, I think, have been, I think we've been taught wrongly or we have assumed wrongly in how we approach this subject and pain. Uh, We've been stifled, I think, at times, or, or we've sanitized God or sanitized church. And when we come to church so often, we, we come with a, a mask on us saying, you know, everything's fine. You know, we have that mentality of, oh, we're okay. And we think that if we show up, we got to put on a step up or lip, lip and make sure that everyone knows that we're doing all right and everything's good. But, but that's not the way scripture and that's not the way God, we're supposed to approach God. You know, we, and often too, and this is our fault too, I think, as leaders, is we've approached the way we approach God wrongly as well. Uh, you know, we've kind of been taught this idea about prayer, and, and we've been trying to kind of get through this as a church and, and show you different ways to pray, uh, and that there's not just one way to pray, but, but too often we approach prayer with this mentality of, you know, okay, we come before, we, we bow our heads, we fold our hands, and we say, oh God. Help us, you know, or whatever it is. And, it's, and we just have this kind of sanitized way of approaching God in prayer. But we see in Scripture that oftentimes that's not how the people of God approached God. In fact, let's see, try this one out. Psalm 44. Uh, if we approached it like most of us approach prayer, Psalm 44, rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Do you think that's the way the psalmist said it? No, I think he said this. God, where are you? Wake up. Or how about this one? How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my life from the lions. Or how about this prayer from Jeremiah? Jeremiah says this, why am I always in pain? Why is my wound incurable? So far beyond healing, you have become for me as unreliable as a spring gone dry. This is Jeremiah addressing God. God, you are worthless. You have done nothing for me, God. You are as unreliable as a spring gone dry. Can you believe that Jeremiah prayed that? Yes, I can. Why? Because that is often the way that people in here address God. Somehow we've gotten this wrong theology, this wrong idea that we can't question God or we can't be mad or we can't show emotion or we, can't, we have to have it all together. No, Jeremiah said, God, you're worthless. It's pretty bold, isn't it? How did God respond to Jeremiah's prayer? He said, how dare you 
pray that prayer? No. What did God do? He didn't strike him down. Rather, he says, I will be with you. I will heal you. I will save you. I will rescue you. That's how God responds. See, God never promises that we will be happy all the day. No, he doesn't do that at all. Here's the amazing part about the God we serve. Is that God says we will have pain. But that God is with us. God is with us. And we have a God who suffers with us. We aren't alone in our pain. We have a God who suffers with us. And we have a God who's big enough to hear our pain. To hear our anger, our struggles, our frustration. He doesn't strike us down for that. In fact, he wants us to be in relationship with him. What kind of a relationship is it where you never have emotion? You never have great love or get angry. It's just kind of neutered. You're just kind of formal all the time. No. God wants to be in relationship with us. And he created us with emotion. We aren't alone in our pain. We have a God who suffers with us. And we see that especially in Mark's gospel. That was read earlier. You know the story. Jesus is with his disciples. He's in the upper room. He's uh, having Passover, uh, the, the, first, uh, the last supper, uh, communion. And he, remember, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples. We're going to have communion here in a minute. We're going to do the same thing. And then he takes a cup of wine. We have a cup of juice, but a cup of wine. And he blessed it and poured it out and said, this is my blood poured out. Uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And this is, this is the story. And then Jesus, after they sing a hymn, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they go out into the Mount of Olives into a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and you have to understand, Jerusalem is on, a, is on a mountaintop, and then there's a small little valley, the Kidron Valley, and then it goes up to another hill, the Mount of Olives. And on the side of that hill is the Garden of of Gethsemane. And they're out in this garden. And many people don't like what Mark writes next. In fact, as I was studying this week and looking through commentaries, uh, I read so many commentaries, uh, they try to sanitize Jesus and what happens next. They don't like what he says. People still have a hard time with a Jesus that had emotion and suffered and doubted and cried out to God, but, but Mark doesn't sugarcoat it at all. In fact, the way he writes, he wants us, he emphasizes uh, it even more. He even draws it out even more so that we really can see it uh, and see if you can catch it. Uh, it says this, they went to a place, and just leave it there, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Now that's Gethsemane right there. In fact, I'll take an aside for just a moment. As you probably know, two Sundays ago, I was right there. On a Sunday morning in the garden, we had church, the Garden of Gethsemane. How cool is that? Check that off my bucket list. Uh, amazing. But here's this garden. It's still there. And you can see the olive trees and the plants. It's an olive grove. Gethsemane means olive press. It's appropriate for what's about to happen for Jesus. But I'm there in the garden, and it's a peaceful spot in the middle of this 
this bustling city, and I'm thinking uh, on Sunday morning as I'm preaching, and actually we're praying, and it's an emotional place to be because it is a peaceful garden. But the suffering that's happening there that as we reflect on, on Jesus is, is incredible. And, and here's, here's what it said. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Mark is giving us kind of a new view into Jesus. And I like how he does it. He first gives us the narrator view. Mark's writing. And he, and he says, Jesus begins to be, uh, what does it say? Distressed and agitated. Just think about those two words. I like the fact that Jesus gets agitated. I don't, that comforts me. Because there's often times I get agitated. Jesus begins to be distressed and agitated. And then he follows it up with actual words that Jesus says. It's like a one-two punch. The, the narrator's outside view of how Jesus is, is feeling and then the actual words of Jesus, first person. And we read, I am deeply grieved even to death. Distressed and agitated, deeply grieved even to death. We serve a God who suffers with us. But let's go on in the narrative. And it says this. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. What does it say? Does it say Jesus went a little further and when he found the right spot, he quietly bowed his head, folded his hands and began to pray? No, what does it say? What does it say? He threw himself on the ground. It says, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, if it's possible. Oh, God, if it's possible. I don't want to go through this. Is there any way out? Because if there's any way out, God, I'm taking it. This is what Jesus is saying here in the garden, the greatest hour. He's saying, is there an off-ramp? Because I want out. It's kind of like the prayer of Jeremiah. I, I, I'm out of here. Can, can we do something else? Sometimes it's hard for us to realize the agony that Jesus is going through. He says, if it's possible, remove this cup. It's too much. Anything but this. Anything but this, God. And what's worse? What are those disciples doing? They're sleeping. Jesus in the midst of his darkest hour. In fact, in a few hours, he's going to cry out again, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's making a painful sacrifice for you, for me, for all of humanity. He begged God to take it away from him. But he ultimately yielded to God's will. This is what we've been talking about all month. He didn't avoid the pain, did he? We start out saying you can't avoid pain in life. It's going to happen. Jesus didn't avoid the pain. He was walking towards it because he knew it was coming. He walked through it. He didn't hide from it. And the pain, it didn't drive him away from God, did it? 
It drove him to God. It drove him to God. And he said, if there's any way. And, and, and how did Jesus have conversation with God? He was passionate, wasn't it? He, he, he poured his heart out. And that's the way we are to come to God as well. And unlike Jesus, who experienced on the cross the utter aloneness of his suffering, we serve a God who suffers with us. So this morning, we, we come to be reminded again of Jesus' painful sacrifice. We'll take communion here in a moment. But I want us to remember this. We don't know the why of pain. We can't answer all the questions. Even in the midst of it, it is terrible. We see it in Jesus' suffering as well. But this is the good news. God suffers with us. He doesn't leave us alone. He's experienced the same things we experience. I hope that gives you some peace. Let us pray.